You know, this is the last judo suit I'm ever going to buy, right? And we both had a moment where we're like, yeah, you're old and going to die. So the fact that I am in my declining years is not a big surprise to me personally. By all estimations, then, my physical appearance is also on decline. I'm not saying I'm a horrendous looking man. If I compare myself to other people in my demographic, other men the exact same age as me, I come out pretty good. Because when I say, oh, I'm not as good as looking as I used to be and stuff, people tend to protest. You know, you're good looking, but, or they will use things like you still, or, oh, you're losing your hair, but. And what they're trying to do is acknowledge that, yes, the state of affairs is not great, but there is still potential. And again, I think if we look at it comparatively, I come out okay. But that's not the point I'm actually trying to make here. I know I'm not a gorgeous man, nor have I ever been, but. I have suddenly realized that there was a day, there was a single day when I looked my best. And it was the best I will ever look in my entire life. And I assume it was between my late teens to mid-twenties or something. That's probably when people look their best. It's when I was probably most physically active and capable and stuff. But I didn't know when that day was. So I missed the day that I looked my best. And there was no way I could capitalize on it. And now that is kind of a regret. I don't know how you would figure it out or measure it, but there has to be a way to know the day when you look your best in your whole life. You will never look better than you did on that day. You're youth, but you're an adult. It's all come together. You've decided to wear the right clothes for the first time in your life. And it fits the atmosphere of you and the room and the world around you. And that is the day when you appealed to the maximum amount of people. But because you didn't know you were at that level, you weren't able to do anything with it. So I'm not saying there's anything you can do, but it is something to think of. That if you can figure out a way to measure your attractiveness, take advantage of that and try to use it. And if you're young, you work up towards that day because it's going to pass and you're not, you, there's a very good chance you're not going to notice. And you want to take full advantage of that day if you can the day you are the best looking you can be, you capitalize on that and you don't make the mistakes I made. In last week's episode, I mentioned Trump and the border wall and I said I would really like to see someone just say to Trump, you said that Mexico was going to pay for the wall and actually just challenge him that way. A guy sent in an article with a clip of Chuck Schumer actually saying that they weren't going to pay for the wall, Mexico was going to pay for the wall. The president appears to be clinging to his demand for billions of dollars for a border wall. 
And from what we saw in the Oval Office and news reports about his reaction after our meeting, President Trump is willing to throw a temper tantrum and shut down the government unless he gets his way. I want to be crystal clear. There will be no additional appropriations to pay for the border wall. It's done. The president repeatedly promised that Mexico would pay for his unnecessary and ineffective border wall. In his words, 100%. Now that's kind of what I meant, but I think the spirit of what I was saying was actually a little different. So maybe I wasn't clear enough. Because what I really want to see is someone say it to his face. So when they were having that meeting with Schumer, Pelosi, and Trump, uh, and Pence was in the back and he wasn't saying anything, what I was actually saying was, when he says, we want $5 billion for the wall for border security, they just look at him and say, you said Mexico was going to pay for that. And just leave it there. Because what they did was they avoided saying that to his face, so they didn't get that reaction. But what I want to see is what kind of reaction... Trump would have to being called out to his face because this is what I see is the problem is he makes all these statements and no one ever repeats the statements back to him. They talk around the issue, they talk by the issue, but they never actually just deliver the issue back to him to his face. So thank you for sending that in. So yes, it has been said, but what I would like, if I could send a message to Mr. Schumer, I would say next time don't wait for a week later or two weeks later when you're in making statements when he's not around. Just say it to him, and I bet his inability to respond would help your case a lot more than anything else. So the question is, who would win in a fight, a Gundam or a Godzilla? This wasn't asked to me. It wasn't asked by anyone. Uh, there is actually going to be a crossover between Gundam and Godzilla where a Gundam is going to fight a Godzilla. Now, I do not have a lot of knowledge of Gundam. I have seen all but one Godzilla movies, including the Western remakes and the ones, so again, like I'm saying, the ones who aren't very good. This is the same as the Alien versus Predator question. Which one would actually win? And it really comes down to the franchise preference of the person you're speaking to. So you don't really need to ask that question. You have to ask them, which franchise do you like better, Gundam or Godzilla, Aliens or Predator? So I am an Alien fan. And I am disgusted by what they've done with the aliens in every sub subsequent film because I find it offensive that they've lowered the intelligence of the alien overall from the original movie. I have a friend who is a Predator fan and he believes that the Predator would always win. Whereas I think if you took the original alien, it would find a way to kill the Predator because that's just what it does. This is the same question with Gundam and Godzilla. Now, because I don't know enough about Gundam, I don't really know enough about the Gundam abilities. But if the Gundam is on the scale of Godzilla, Godzilla is grown. If you actually go from movie to movie, you'll actually see that he's grown basically in line with the skyline of a city. So in the 60s, you know, maybe the downtown buildings were only about 10, 20 stories tall at the most. Those were the skyscrapers. And Godzilla loomed above those. As buildings got taller, Godzilla all got taller with them. So that's not something they actually explained or made part canon. They didn't make him grow. They just always wanted when Godzilla walked into the city that the city would be sort of beneath him. So it'd give you a sense of scale and size. So he was always going to be bigger than the city. So that means modern Godzilla is just massive, gigantic compared to original Godzilla. So the original Godzilla, I bet at this point would only be about half the size of what the current Godzilla is supposed to be. Gundam is the RX-78-2 Gundam, 
with Luna titanium alloy as a body or sort of frame. Uh, basically, it's bulletproof, but not just like regular bullets. It's like space bullets because the Zaku machine gun doesn't hurt the Gundam. The Gundam has a gun and a shield and hot plasma blades. So the hot plasma blades are probably the most powerful weapon in its little arsenal. It stands 18.5 meters tall, weighs 60 tons, and can do 0.93 Gs and travel at about 165 kilometers an hour. So it's fast. Probably the most impressive part of it, though, is that the Gundam actually has a learning computer, which means the machine through combat will actually learn and be able to take action independently of the pilot. It doesn't just pilot itself or make decisions on its own, but it could guide actions and stuff. So basically, if it does enough combat, the computer might become sentient is one of the possibilities. It basically is adaptive in battle. And it also has a heat-proof field, which is designed for re-entry, so that it's not like an aerodynamic ship, it's not designed for re-entry, so it just has a shield that it has. And I think that also might be advantageous when fighting Godzilla, because Godzilla's most famous weapon is the fire breath, or heat beam breath, but the problem is I don't think it's ever explained as to what that consists of. Is that a liquid? Is it... Is it light? How is it generated? Those are all kind of mysterious. We don't really know what creates Godzilla's breath. And so if it's just heat, the heat-proof field might actually protect Gundam from it. But if it's a liquid or something, it might actually, you know, rest on that or overload it and then get on the Luna Titanium alloy, then uh, start destroying the ship itself. The ship being the Gundam, the robot. Is it a robot? It's a ship. Yeah, it's a ship. Godzilla, as I mentioned earlier, is huge. So 18 meters is big, but it's only like a couple of houses, something like that. Godzilla could potentially just step and crush the Gundam. Now, whether he creates enough pounds per square inch pressure to actually crush it is a different thing, because we don't know if Luna Titanium Alloy, how much pressure that can take. It is certainly going to be the Gundam punching up towards... Godzilla, because the hot plasma blades could probably do damage to Godzilla, but something we learn is that Godzilla, he takes damage from most of the things that hit him, but he heals incredibly quickly. So that's actually sort of like a Wolverine-esque power of immediate healing, which is why Godzilla can always come back and fight more. So I think just the size and power differential, I don't think a couple of swords and a smart computer, basically a really good iPod, would be able to overcome fundamental brutality that is Godzilla. So that doesn't actually tell you who will or won't win. It tells you which franchise I prefer. I prefer the Godzilla franchise. Now, the one thing I would like to make a rule for in the future going forward, any crossover can't have the end of the fight end with sort of a tie. It has to have an actual functional conclusion where we know which one beat which. Because the, oh, we fought, it looked like I was going to win, then it looked like I was going to win, and we went back and forth a couple of times, and then we just stopped fighting, is not satisfactory at all. Because it leads to further arguments, and it leads to this endless debate that is pointless when the whole point of the experiment of putting these two franchises in contest with each other 
is that we figure out which one would actually win in a fight. So I'm really looking forward to this crossover between Gundam and Godzilla because I really want to see which one comes out on top. But I'm betting the writer or the director or something, they chicken out, they cop out on this, and they don't actually come down with a definitive conclusion on the question. A friend of mine asked, what fictional world would you like to live in? Now, I immediately had a problem with it, like I have a problem with everything when someone asks me a question because that's just my very nature. The problem is that most worlds in most stories that I'm interested in, the problem is that world is in danger or in threat. That is what the heroes have to overcome or escape in order to survive and live on. The world is in danger in most of the things I like. So most of the worlds of the science fiction and fantasy things that I like are not places I would want to actually live because that means I would probably die relatively quickly there. My friend immediately chose the Shire from Lord of the Rings. Now, in the story of the Lord of the Rings, the Shire remains relatively untouched. There is a scene at the end, and I only know this because I read a thing about an astronaut who came back from Earth, and he told this story, which makes it a very interesting combination of elements to put together. But the story is at the end, the hobbits come back and they're taller than all the other hobbits and they've lived through this incredible experience that none of the local people can relate to. And they're in the pub and someone comes in with a giant pumpkin. Now they've already told their stories, which are quite frankly unbelievable to the locals. But the giant pumpkin is something real and tangible in front of them that they can actually experience and live themselves. So they get way, way more excited about the giant pumpkin than they do about the stories and the ideas and the lives of the hobbits that they've just lived. And so the hobbits now realize that they are separate from that. But what it actually shows you is that the hobbits never really knew what kind of danger the world was in in the first place. The Shire remains untouched. It's a small little community. It doesn't get touched by the outside world very often. So they've just lived their normal lives this whole time. So that's an interesting choice. The other thing is that he's Welsh and he's basically just chosen a sunny version of Wales um, with a lot of short people in it, which might make him feel good. I don't know. Ben might have to comment on that later. But I think that the inherent problem there is that the world at large does have this scale, this incredibly large scale war going on, and it could invade and destroy that Shire in a day without any notice. And there's nothing they could do to defend themselves. So my first choice was actually the Federation from the Star Trek universe. And probably you'd want to be on Earth. Now, the Earth gets targeted several times in most of the movies because it's sort of the core planet of the Federation because that's where we, the people who created that fiction, come from. So there's a bit of a danger there. But overall, if you think about the Federation, they have solved almost all of humanity's problems. And the fact that they don't have money anymore means that everything is free. Food is free, shelter is free, healthcare is free. And they have the technology to make sure that people live relatively healthy lives for seemingly as long as they want. So the Federation was my first choice. And it's because it actually seems like a utopia. And the goal of most people in the Federation would be to live out some kind of version of their dream. So the explorers are off in space exploring, the scientists are off studying and doing sciencing, and then there would be people like me who want a podcast, let's say. And I could podcast to the universe and I would never have to worry about getting paid for it. You'd never have to worry about advertising or anything like that to actually pay for this stuff. I wouldn't need a side job unless I was interested in that side job. 
So I'm wondering how many people just live a life of leisure in the Federation, that kind of weird laziness. So there's a different underbelly going on because it seems like everyone on Earth is living well. And it seems like everyone on Earth can just live whatever life they do. I don't know how much education is mandated. So there's a lot of questions I actually still would need answered. But it seemed like the Federation was the best choice. Then, quite recently, I started playing Lego City Undercover. It's a Lego video game and you're a policeman in the Lego world and you live in Lego City and you are going around chasing criminals. But I realized nothing goes wrong in Legoland. Like, you can be broken apart and they just put you back together. Your car smashes, they just put it back together. I've never seen them eat, so I don't think Lego characters eat. They've cooked food and stuff, but it doesn't seem like they have to eat it. And it can just pop out of other things. So all the problems in the Lego universe are solved with Lego, which is a pretty awesome way to solve problems. So I think, now that I've had a new experience, that I may change my answer from the Federation to Legoland. Because it seems like even the biggest problem in Legoland is a Lego-based problem that is solved with Lego. And that seems like a pretty fun problem to have. The loss of the loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. Because what I really want to see... Fuck off.